Hey everybody, welcome to the Chamber Channel's Five Questions podcast. This is the place where we take a deep dive with industry leaders for an inside look at their world and how they can make a difference in yours. It's been over 20 years in the making and the International African American Museum is opening this month on Charleston's historic Gadsden's Wharf. We sat down with the museum's Chief Engagement and Learning Officer, Malika Pryor, to talk about the significance of its opening and the impact of Gullah Geechee culture. Let's listen. You know, the International African American Museum, it's gonna be, I think it's gonna be an asset, not just to the region, but to the country. You know, tell our listeners a little bit, Malika, about how the museum came about and, and how it's come to fruition. So this is an institution that's more than 23 years in the making. And by some accounts, it's, it's more than 400 years in the making. Um, it's located on a portion of what was Gatson's Wharf, which at, during its period of time um, active in the transatlantic slave trade was the most active wharf on the Charleston, on the port of Charleston, which was the most active port in, in, in all of the United States and what becomes the United States um, in the trade of captioned and enslaved Africans. What that means for African-Americans with historical ties or historical roots in the United States is that statistically, at least one of our ancestors passed through Charleston. So when we think about how impactful, how economically, culturally, um, systemically altering the enslavement of these people was to the development of the country that we call home, And the fact that this museum is located in this space is engaging discourse that speaks to the before enslavement because people of African descent weren't coming as empty vessels. They were bringing skills. They were bringing economy. They were bringing innovation. They were bringing technology. They were bringing culture. They were bringing their foodways. They were bringing their histories with them. This period that is incredibly disruptive for those many different groups of people that are originating broadly from West and West Central Africa, but really throughout much of the continent, although concentrated in those two regions I just mentioned, while also understanding that that is also not the end of the story, that the fact, Kelly, that I'm in a conversation with you right now is a witness bearing to the fact that the story continues And so what does it look like for these people who aren't just arriving in the United States, but who are arriving across up and down the Western Hemispheric coast, much of it the Atlantic, but also the Pacific coast? And who are they becoming? How are they making their way? With whom are they in conversation? How are they resisting? How are they affirming themselves? How are they retaining their humanity? How are they building and expanding upon it, deepening it in what is initially a whole new world, but what inevitably and eventually becomes their home. What we're striving to speak to at the International African American Museum, in a nutshell, um, because it's very much a nutshell, you can have 150,000 square feet and it's still just a nutshell of a story when you're <laughs> covering the better part of a millennia. <laughs> and that's, 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 that's the International African American Museum. That's what we're endeavoring to do and grounding ourselves in the power of place and the significance of Charleston and both this very local, but also national and international context, um, offering ourselves the, the freedom 
like the city where, where we're located to be as focused and honed in as the low country is specific and unique and peculiar and beautiful and complex. And to think through what the implications of that was and remains in, in quite frankly, not just the country, but, but, but much of the world. It's just an incredible endeavor. The idea began in terms of really beginning to take shape. There had been conversations here and there, particularly um, in African-American communities about the possibility, the dream, the hope of a museum. Um, but it's when former Mayor Riley makes that statement and makes that commitment um, that things really begin from an institutional and infrastructural place point to take shape. So many years later, two, de- two decades, here we are. Here we are. You know, it's it's amazing. You talked about the expansive size of what this museum will be about. I know uh, there are going to be about 12 permanent exhibits, along with rotating ones as well. Tell yes. us a little bit about what we can expect when we walk through those doors. Sure. When you first enter, I suspect most of our visitors, although some will be entering from the harbor, um, our garden or first level is, in fact, a public park or or will be um, available to the public. So it's possible for folks who are visiting from the from the harbor side and taking those boat tours or coming off of their own boats, right, to be in conversation with the lower level. But we suspect that most folks are going to be entering from Concord Street Um, for anybody that's familiar with sort of Aquarium Wharf. you, You have you have a sense of. Of the fact that you're coming from the street, coming from sort of downtown and you're moving your way towards the water. And the first thing that you come into conversation with is this really beautifully um, designed and and crafted. It's our African Ancestral Memorial Garden. Um, And it models itself loosely around the landscape of the diaspora and very, very strongly leans into the landscape of South Carolina and the Low Country more specifically. Um, so this, it's this opportunity to think through this powerful relationship between, um, which is definitely a conversation that we have because this, the African-American journey is one of placement, displacement, replacement, physically, literally, figuratively, metaphorically. What it means in that literal sense to be in conversation with place, right? So you'll probably hear me say that a few times, place, 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 um, because the physicality of moving millions of people is a really significant one. Peoples of African descent, and I think it's a pretty universal experience. When we're from some place, part of how we draw our identity, we come to an understanding of who we are, is through the very space where we live, where we grow, the ways in which our cultures develop, our languages develop, the the, the tools and the resources that we utilize are very much grounded in where we quite literally are. So you get to be in conversation in this broad sense, right? Um, because we can't cover everything in that square footage of where people were coming from and then how and then what they use and what um, to create new culture and also to sustain and to continue cultural memory and cultural heritage. Sweetgrass fields, for an example, um, in terms of thinking very specifically to the low country. And of course, that's a nod to sweetgrass baskets and the the, the industry, quite frankly, um, the artisanal industry that has been developed by the Gullah Geechee cultural community that's beyond just the basket weaving um, and, and far beyond the way the utilitarian ways in which sweetgrass was used historically 
to just really become just a, a tool and texture for incredible artwork that's wearable, that can go, that can live on your wall, et cetera. And then there are also these installations, um, including um, our Tide Tribute, which um, is, is modeled after the Brooks diagram. So they're sort of the, those, those very famous diagrams of the layout of enslaved Africans in the bowels of a particular ship, um, although it mirrored the ways in which Africans would have been placed on ships generally. Um, and it's also a fountain. So with the ebb and flow of tide, um, the recesses of the fountain fill. And then at certain points as, um, as the water recedes, there are puddles and pools of water that are left in various recesses. And that's, and that's a, 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 in memoriam to every man, woman, and child that traversed the transatlantic slave trade. So that's just sort of the ground level plus more. Um, but as you make your way to the second level, um, that's when you're coming into contact with the interior exhibitions, our core um, exhibitions. Um, the first thing you're going to see is the transatlantic experience installation. So it is eight, eight foot um, synchronous and asynchronous screens that are running video, um, moving image, text, um, and sound. So there's an original score, and we like to think about it as sort of a trailer for what you're going to experience. But what the museum doesn't do is instruct you on how to move. You get to select your experience. Um, and generally, when you're called through the through through um, through the transatlantic experience, it that's leading you and ushering you into our East Wing, um, where the overwhelming majority of our core exhibitions live and they are not chronologically married they are thematic so there's a Gullah Geechee gallery there is um, an Atlantic world there is African roots African routes which is two exhibitions two core exhibitions in conversation with each other in a single gallery there's memories of the enslaved in Carolina gold which are also placed in um two exhibitions in a single gallery. You'll encounter uh, South Carolina connections. And you are probably hearing this already, a number of references to low country or South Carolina, quite literally, right? South Carolina connections in the exhibition titles, Carolina Gold, um, Gullah Geechee, because there are these three layers with respect to the local, the national, the international. And so we're always engaging this interplay between the three. Um, and part of that is because, again, there is quite a lot of power in where we are physically, geographically as a museum. However, or and, the African-American, as in U.S.-based African-American experience exists within an international and diasporic framework. You don't get the African-American person, community, identity, as we understand it, outside of a diasporic framework. So there's always this exploration. And once you've sort of completed exploring on the East Wing, good luck, <laughs> then you make your way to the West Wing, more than likely. Um, and that's where you are able to encounter, have the opportunity to encounter our um chronologically married exhibition, which is American Journeys 1 and 2. We cover just shy of 
700 years worth of time from the, the landing of the, of the conquistadors all the way to 2021 with the, 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 the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement and, you know, just this incredible, again, international civil rights movement and moment that takes place between 2020 and 2021. There is also our Center for Family History which is both gallery, but also research center. So there are four kiosks that offer the opportunity to search um, no less than 400 million genealogically relevant records. Very um, interactive. That's, the, that's so great to see that technology and interaction aspect as well. Absolutely. And I should say there are interactive. So there are opportunities that are really engaging and that are bringing people into conversation, but may not necessarily be something that you touch. But in every gallery, um, there is this very active conversation between the visitor and technology um, that is designed in such a way that it is enhancing and amplifying the humanity of the experience, because a lot of what we're doing is really telling stories and utilizing human experiences to clarify and to illustrate the history. Because so often we think about history in terms of dates and places not always realizing that history, one, is everything that's already happened, which means that it's the art, it's the culture, it's the people who are manifesting all of all of what we come to understand. Um, and so we really strive to foreground that. And the Center for Family History, I think, is one of those moments where it clarifies this idea of history as personal because it's an opportunity for folks to actually explore their own personal histories. Um, there is a story booth that's also provides an, uh, an interactive opportunity um, where you can be in conversation with a family member. So if, you know, folks are uh, into StoryCorps, so sort of think StoryCorps, but more like a 90 second experience where you can have a family member provide a prompt or you can just share a story in a moment. Um, it's it is a sort of lifelong memento. You record it. A link is uploaded and forwarded you, to the email. Whoever is sharing that story can forward it as as widely as they like. Um, if you choose, you can allow us to hold it in our story booth archive um, or share it out more broadly um, to encourage others to to engage with 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 that technology when they visit. Or you can tell us no. Um, and then we just destroy that content um, after a very brief period of time and, and it remains. Then there is also the special exhibition space, which which also lives in in the West Wing. Um, our opening special exhibition will be Men of Change. That is a national traveling Smithsonian exhibition. We will be the second to last location, and we are the only location in South Carolina that will be showing this particular exhibition. Um, and so we're, we're bringing a, a little bit of D.C. Uh, to, to Charleston uh, for, for the first six weeks that we're open much less the low country. That's great. You know, we we feel strongly that we think, you know, the, the, the museum is actually going to build interest in the regional perspective of Gullah Geechee, and as you're probably familiar, Mitchellville is here on Hilton Head Island. Often surprising to visitors who come here, they know Hilton Head for beaches and as a resort, but they don't know it mm -hmm. as the home of the first Freedman's Village. So right. tell us a little bit how you feel that the museum is going to impact the region and Gullah Geechee culture. You mentioned the Lowcountry exhibit, how it will maybe hopefully broaden some perspective and horizons on what's happening throughout the area. So what I would say is, as a museum, we think of ourselves as an institutional neighbor and partner. And so while we may be an international museum, while we think of ourselves as being a national museum, again, we are very, very aware of 
and highly prioritize the fact that we are still in a space and place and that we want to be a good neighbor and good partner wherever we are. Um, furthermore, as a first voice institution, um, which essentially means that we are a museum that is reflecting a culture and expressing it and articulating it through the lens of that people, how could we possibly be in Charleston and not be authentically engaged, not just with the community externally, but also having the Gullah Geechee community represented in the museum as part of our team, informing the ways in which we're developing programming, we're thinking about our themes. We are, quite frankly, creating the museum. You, you have the edifice, but the life of a museum is the people who animate it. And that is a relationship. It's a conversation between those who work internally and those the members of our community that we hope are our visitors, are the institutions that work with us. Um, so there are a number of ways. One, we already have partnerships within the Gullah Geechee community. Um, members of the Gullah Geechee community served on advisory committees, boards, um, we have had quite a number of, of, of members of, of historical settlement communities, for instance, come and visit the museum, give us their feedback. Um, a number of our programs, uh, quite frankly, our, our longest running, our most established special annual program, Awakening the Ancestors Through Music, um, is rooted in Gullah Geechee language and uh church, particularly praise house culture. And it's an exploration of Gullah Geechee language. It's an exploration of how the culture has managed to both sustain, but also evolve um, formally and informally over the course of time and how the culture was made more resilient by virtue of faith traditions um, and how those traditions relate um, sometimes in the derivative, but in many instances, very directly back to um, our African roots. So fortunately, I, I feel fortunate as someone who's a Kamil, um, who's originally from Detroit, I've lived a, a bit of everywhere, to have arrived at the museum, um, particularly leading our programs division, already having both members of my team who are frontline professionals, who are leaders within my division, who are members of the Gullah Geechee community, but in some ways, more importantly, that there were already these lines of communication, lines of relationship and partnership. So with the Gullah Geechee Heritage Corridor, for instance, um, uh, Cultural Heritage Corridor, for instance, um, that were already very much activated. And in some instances, we needed to formalize them. In some instances, we needed to shore them up. And of course, we're, we're excited to continue to, to advance. Um, but knowing that that existed already, um, that that was in play already was so critical to me because, um, quite frankly, having had a, a pro my professional life was born out of First Voice Museum experiences. Um, and I'm a firm believer that no matter how big a museum is, particularly when you're a First Voice Museum, if the folk that are right on the corner and right down the road who are living, contemporary living embodiments of the story that you're striving to tell, don't see themselves represented in the institution and don't feel welcome in the institution. Houston, we've got a problem. We've got a problem. I'm so, so we're 
We're thrilled to see that two of our, you know, two of my favorite people on the planet, actually, uh, Emery Campbell, Dr. Campbell, and Thomas Barnwell are part of the leadership. And I know there's a feature, as I you mentioned, it's it's about people. And I know there's an upcoming feature where you're taking a look at some of those who've had an impact on Gullah culture with um, Mr. Barnwell, that recognition, I think is so important. And we're so thrilled to see that y'all are doing that as part of what the museum's all about. Thank you. Yeah, I can hear the passion in your voice, Malika, for what you do. I really can. What What are you most excited about in your role with the museum? And, and what are you most excited about as you start this journey? I wish that didn't feel like such a tricky question. <laughs> um, I am excited for sort of June 28th onward. Uh, I know that we're, you know, I know that the team that is helming uh, and part of that team is 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 also my team. Um, our, our our faith-based team is 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 leading the the open uh, the opening the worship service, which is the first event of of our grand opening weekend. But it's what I call the nuggets, those golden moments that remind you why you do this. Because a lot of times folks think like, oh, museum work, you're all curators and surely this is fun. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it is wonderful and we're not all curators. Uh, However, it's it's not necessarily as easy as folks always think. Um, So seeing a, a grandparent with their grandchild telling a story, sharing a moment, seeing someone whose story may not be reflected in any way directly on the walls, having a moment of true connectivity and having that verification that, ah, yes, our curatorial team was able to thread that needle from the specific to the universal, because so much of what we experience in specific cultures and communities, when we just expand it a little bit, we suddenly understand, oh, wait, well, I'm, I'm not a Jewish American person, but I feel that. I feel that at my core. I'm, I'm not a Chinese American person. I'm, I'm not familiar with, you know, Chinese tenements, but I understand that I feel that. Um, And being able to create that kind of connectivity, those are the moments that I'm the most excited for. Um, Of course, I'm excited for our doors to be just, you know, not literally, but, you know, figuratively flown, you know, uh, flown open and and, and the public being able to make their way in. So those are the things that I'm most excited about. Well, it is, it's an educational experience, but you really summed it up well. It's also, it's about moments. It's those those connection moments that people are going to be making walking through that space, that's really what it's all about at the end of the day. Absolutely. Well, we can't wait to see it, Malika. We are so thrilled to have have opening day not that far away here in the end of June, I believe. Uh, is it is it June 27th? Is that June the 27th, open to the public. Now, that date is already sold out, um, wow. but there are many others available. <laughs> not surprised. Not surprised it's sold out. Well, we're excited about what's happening and, and how it will uh, just build awareness and of, of that experience and what Charleston is for that, as well as the rest of South Carolina. So thanks so much for joining us, Malika, and we can't wait to, to head your way. Thank you so much. Check Hilton Head Island Bluffton Chamber.org for details on Juneteenth celebrations on Hilton Head Island and in Bluffton. Thanks everyone for listening. The podcast continues to grow and never miss an episode of our five questions podcast by subscribing to the chamber channel on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take a moment to download, subscribe, and leave us a review. 
It helps us reach more people.